Houston, we have a podcast. You're listening to the Premier Rockets Podcast. It's H-Town Hoops, hosted by Brandon Scott and Adam Spolay. It is the H-Town Hoops Podcast. That's right, it's the H-Town Hoops Podcast, and it's been a long time, actually, since we've been together, since we've done this. We last did our off-season recap a little more than a month ago, and life has happened, and we've, you know, taken time away. But now we're back with less than a week to go up until training camp. And before we get into it, Adam, I'm just curious because I feel like NBA training camp falls at an interesting time in the sports calendar, and you were somebody like myself who covers all of the sports I, I think it's interesting like to ask you if you're ready for Rockets training camp considering the difference is that you get NBA training camps in the midst of the other sports obviously you know when when the when Major League Baseball's tra- uh, spring training starts you know you've got you, you know you've got the NBA still going but but football's over uh, when football starts, of course, you've got baseball going, but, you know, basketball's not started. But basketball falls, and the NBA specifically falls right there in the sweet spot. Are you ready for this avalanche of content that you're going to have to be producing pretty soon here? No, <laughs> no. Um, and the problem with this is that um, they've moved back uh, media days. Like, we would have been – they would have done media day – uh, yesterday, normally, that's normally when they do it. But since they moved it back a week, that means that if the Astros aren't in the playoffs, then we could have some sort of announcement come out of Minute Maid on Monday, the same time as Rockets Media Day. So it could be a very busy week if the Astros are not in the playoffs. Let's just say so. Uh, for I, you know, you know me. I don't care who wins and loses games, but. In terms of just like wanting to make sure I'm able to be at where I need to be, I kind of need the Astros to be in the playoffs next week. That way I can at least focus on, you know, Rockets preseason for a little while at this point. Yeah. Yeah. And as far as the Rockets going to the Astros are their own thing, I'm pretty sure we'll be doing plenty of coverage on that on sportsradio610.com and on the radio. So make sure y'all are checking that out, the Odyssey app, all of that. But as far as the Rockets go, I was thinking about this, and we'll get into some questions in a moment. But I was thinking about how, like, this is an interesting time, and the Rockets are much more, to me, right now, newsy and interesting and, like, worthy of discussing and talking about, much more so than they are, like, projected to be a competitive team, if that makes sense. Like, they're more interesting and worth talking about than they are competitive. You know, so I think there's a lot of news, a lot of topics for us to write about and for us to talk about on podcasts like this and on websites like SportsRadio610.com. But as we've discussed before, at various points in the offseason, we don't really expect this team to be one that's like going to take such a, a an enormous leap that they're competitive in the Western Conference or that they're competing for you know, to, to go to the Western Conference Finals, then, you know, they'd be lucky to be a play-in team at this point. So, uh, you know, th- that to me is interesting that, you know, they're they're much more worth talking about in terms of storylines. Ime Udoka in the first year, what is the, dif- what is the difference and the imprint of Ime Udoka in terms of how they play and what the overall makeup of this team is? Obviously, they've got like seven new players. So that's a story in, a, in its own right. A new coach and half a roster's worth of new players what's that going to look like for the players that are coming back Jalen green is you know probably an a topic in terms of hey could he be is he a franchise player i think this is the year to to finally ask and answer that question jabari smith jr what's the leap that he takes from year one to year two especially with the cliffhanger that you were given from him in the summer league and of course that's it's just summer league you can easily dismiss it but you saw signs of him improving what's that look like and that's before we even get to the kevin porter jr situation and that story which is more of a a, an a topic news topic beyond just sports right beyond just what's going on with the rockets and we'll talk about how it affects the rockets as a team as well but you've got all of that and i didn't even mention rafael stone as the general manager 
and this really being kind of the first year of no excuses, you know, all eyes on you as the general manager and how do things materialize. So you've got all of that. All of those things are interesting stories. And yet and still, I don't feel like we're talking about a really competitive basketball team. I, I, I would ask you, what do you think about those storylines? And of course, we'll get into the biggest questions going into the training camp. Yeah, I think what you say is true. Like, I, I don't expect them to be good, but I, I think the big difference between this year and the two seasons prior is that while they're probably not going to be good, they're at least going to try to be good. And the last two years, they really haven't tried to be good. They have just run out very young, inexperienced teams and let them learn, you know, the way they want to learn. And if they played poorly, they got to keep playing. If they did not play hard, they got to keep playing. I think now it's different. And now these guys are playing for not just, you know, team stuff, but you mentioned Jalen Green and, and also Alperin Chingun. Those guys are playing for contracts. And Jalen Green has watched as the, the guys that were drafted the class ahead of him, the 2020 draft class, those guys got their big extensions. You know, uh, Anthony Edwards got his big extension. LaMelo Ball got his big extension. Tyrese Halliburton got his big extension. That could be Jalen Green a year from now. And so he has an opportunity to put himself, um, you know, in that sort of category and to uh, in, in that sort of, you know, lifelong comfort level. Same thing with Shingun. And they said, yeah, I talked to Shingun back in April and he said that, hey, this is a big year. Year three is a big year. And they have spent the last two years getting their asses kicked and now they have an opportunity and they've been put in a position where at least they can like kick back at, at some of these teams. So um, I think that the storyline is that they are going to actually try to win games. Can they win games? And then you are seeing how good are the guys that they have on the roster. They've been, they've been helped out. You know, they have, they have now some veteran support. They have some veterans who you feel like are they, at least they think are going to be around for the long haul. And, and at least we'll have some sort of investment into the group. I don't think that you could say that with Eric Gordon. I think Eric Gordon, you know, did his job and he was a professional, but he wasn't invested in the success of the group. I, I think with Fred Van Vliet, Dylan Brooks, um, they have that sort of investment. And I think that's important. Um, so I, I think that's the big storyline. I, I do think that they need to show some sort of improvement uh, that you can take to the owner because I think I do think that the GM is probably, um, you know, he's got a lot on the line. You know, this is this is now his roster. This is fully his roster. Um, everybody who is here, he has brought in, and if they kind of stay in the in the twenties when it comes to wins, you know, it, it's hard to say that hey, this guy deserves more time to try and get it together. And what's difficult now is that they don't have their 2024 first round pick. It's only protected one through four. So if they're really bad next year, they probably won't get that pick. Um, they won't have really any cap space to try and, you know, improve the roster through free agency. They can make some trades, uh, but you know, what they have is kind of what they're stuck with at this point. So it's a big year for him. And it's a big year for those guys who are going into their uh, third NBA seasons to me. Yeah, so on the last point that you mentioned about Rafael Stone, I, I'm interested in what you think about what constitutes success for him. Like, how, do, how does he come out of the year? If we concede here in this conversation and just agree that this team has a chance to make, whether it be incremental improvement or substantial improvement, they have a chance to make improvement, but only up to a certain point. It's, it's more, more than likely not going to be like a super competitive team like they could they could improve 10 12 wins and still be out of the play like they were like they were I that might. bad but right and so what within that context constitutes success for rafael stone and the evaluation of him as a general manager this year like what does a good year for him look like uh, that's i think that's only a question that you can ask the owner yeah. And I think it's making the owner happy is basically that's what constitutes a success. Like if the owner feels like you are headed in the right direction, then you're good. But if you like, let's say you win 36 games and, but the owner, for whatever reason, if he doesn't feel like, like to me, if they win 36, that's a huge jump. And to me, that would make it seem like, Hey, you have this thing pointed in the right direction. But if the owner is thinking like, Hey, we're going to be in the play in and I have lost big for the last three years and I'm tired of this and it's play in or bust. Well, then you're kind of screwed. So I think it's that's a better question for the owner and a better question for what his expectations are. Um, and, and Tillman Fertitta hasn't really spelled that out. I don't know if he's going to be available at media day. He hasn't been 
uh, the last couple of years. Um, so I, I think that that's kind of the interesting aspect of it is, you know, there's what we see as, you know, being improvement from the outside, but it's what do they see as being improvement on the inside? I mean, they've been, you know, there are, I think there are certain statistical benchmarks that you can point to, well, you know, if they are bottom five in offense, again, that's a problem. If they're bottom five in defense. Again, that's a problem. But if they can kind of get their net, you know, if they lose, you know, if they lose 50 games or 55 games, uh, 55 probably isn't going to cut it. But let's say they they go 32 and 50, but the net rating goes from whatever. I think they were probably minus seven or eight points per 100 possessions. If they can cut that in half, I think that you can point to that as being an improvement. It's like, hey, you know, we might not have won as many games as maybe we had hoped, but we were really competitive and we were just super young. And we are playing in a Western conference that's just a bear every night. And we are competing against, you know, 14 other team, other teams that are trying to win every single game. So I think it's like if, if they were in the East, I think that you could almost say playing or bust, but being in the West where you have all these other teams that are going to be good. And I think probably everybody except for San Antonio has ideas of being in the play in this season, at least being in the play in this season, that's, it's going to be tough. It's going to be really tough for them. But I, I think that you just want to see, improvement from their young guys you want to see the veterans that they brought in mesh with those young guys and then you just want to see them being competitive night in and night out you don't want you know the games where they're giving up 140 points and getting blown out by 30 that's the sort of stuff that they have to be able to avoid because i think that's the sort of stuff that got them in trouble and i think one more thing getting off to a good start would be beneficial because you look at the last two years they were one in 16 two years ago. They were two and 12 last year. I mean, your season is basically over before it starts. And if they can, the schedule is a little easier. Not, I shouldn't say easier, but you know, last year they were basically on the road the entire first month of the season. That changes now. They get to play a bunch of home games early. So if they can rack up some wins early in the season and build up just some positive momentum, I think that that will really help them. And I think that will make everybody feel better about what they have going on early in the season, at least. So I'm going to oversimplify some of what you just said because I think you did a good job of kind of ex explaining it in depth there, but I'm going to oversimplify what you just said and kind of reduce it down to two things that I feel like need to be accomplished here to, to warrant saying that it was a good year, a successful year for Raphael Stone. I don't know if you can call it job saving or anything like that, because I don't know what the standard is necessarily or how tight the rope is per se. I, I don't, I don't know the answer to that, but for me, and this is a, just a projection here, but I feel like two things need to happen. One, you need to come out of this season feeling like you've got a franchise player. I don't even think it necessarily matters who that player is, but you know, you feel like it's got to be Jalen Green or Jabari Smith Jr. I think that's its own question and an interesting part of it. But you got to feel like you come out of here with a franchise player because you spent all of this time losing and drafting high. You want to feel like you've got that guy, somebody that you're really truly building the team around. And it goes back to your point about what Jalen Green and Alperen Shingun are trying to establish about themselves, right? Like the thing that they're motivated by is, I think, tied to the same thing that Rafael Sohn's ultimate evaluation is going to be tied to. Did you draft a franchise player with all these swings at it when y'all were bad? So that's number one. Number two, the main free agent signings have to contribute to, to – the improvement that we're talking about whatever levels of improvement there is whatever incremental improvement that there is and we do suspect that there will be some we'll just see to what degree but those guys have to matter have to mesh with the young guys and have to contribute significant to winning like we can't come here at the end of the year no matter where the rockets are and be talking about how the fred van vliet contract looks bad or how that signing looks like a bad one or how the Dylan Brooks signing looks like a bad one. Like, like we can't, that can't be the evaluation or the assessment at the end of the year. It, it, you have to, they have to feel good about those signings at the end of the year and have a franchise player established by the end of the year because enough time has passed for that to happen. I, I think, I think if he's got those things going for him, that's enough to instill some confidence that Rafael Stone has a grasp for what he's doing and is the guy going forward. If you come out of the year 
say without a franchise player say you make some 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 improvement but you don't really know who the guy is that you're really building around or if any of these guys that you drafted are worth building around you still don't necessarily have, feel like you have a grasp for that that ain't good and if you come away from the season feeling like hey you had all of this cap space all of this money to spend and the guys that you spent it on hey even if this is just who was available the guys you're spending on don't seem to be worth anything then that's going to be bad too it's going to feel like hey this guy doesn't know how to you know how to do free agency either doesn't know how to draft or doesn't know how to do free agency so i feel like both of those things need to happen for him to over oversimplify some of the things that you were already saying can, can i make it an even more simplistic point to this sure um rafael stone will keep his job if Ime Udoka likes him and <laughs> every, everything you've heard the last few months is that Ime Udoka is the most powerful non-fertita in the organization so if Rafael Stone can maintain a really good working relationship with Ime Udoka, then there's a good chance he's going to be able to stick around. But if Ime, but if if what you hear is true and and Ime Udoka is in fact the most non-power, the most powerful non-Fertita within the organization, and he has questions about Rafael Stone, then that probably doesn't bode well for for Rafael Stone's future within the organization. They could win 45 games, and that could be the case. But, I mean, you've seen kind of how they handled free agency. It kind of felt like they signed guys that were more in line with what Ime Udoka likes than anything else. And so I, I think when you hear that he is the most powerful non-Fertita in the organization, kind of makes sense. I'm going to ask you this, and I'm going to say it without judgment or anything like that, but how do you feel about that – sudden ascension for Ime Udoka to go from the guy who was not so quietly exiled from one of the more historic franchises in sports, the Boston Celtics, after being the, the, the head coach of a team that went to the NBA Finals in his first year as a head coach, going from unceremoni unceremoniously being exiled from that franchise, uh, basically a year out of ball, and then gets the keys to, doesn't just get a job or a second chance, or rehired because I believe in we I mean we all believe in second chances I I suppose because we all probably need them uh make a mistake here or there but to this degree I mean the the glow up for Emma Udoka to go from exiled from the Celtics to the keys to a, another NBA franchise to the point of he basically <laughs> to your point can decide the future of the the, the person that was running the team before he got there. I mean, what, what do you make of such an ascension? I mean, he changed their free agent plans. I mean, it's, it's pretty, it's, it's that simple. They had a plan when the season started or when the season ended about free agency and they hired him and they kind of completely changed course. It's, it's a, it's a big shift. Um, it, it tells you just, you know, the type of impression that he made on the Fertitas. And I think that if, anybody else you probably don't get that same sort of rope it's uh but no it's a big like it absolutely is a big shift um so I, I am a little surprised that it's kind of gone that way but also I'm, I'm not that surprised because you know when you are if you're Tillman Fertitta and you have lost a million games the last three years you know you might want to hear from another voice and you might and you know this is a, a voice in Ime Udoka who has come from success his entire NBA career, whether it was with San Antonio or even when he was, you know, with Philly briefly and, and briefly with Brooklyn. And then, you know, his one year as a head coach, he went to the finals. So I, I understand it. You kind of you feel that void. If you're looking for someone who's been successful and here's a guy who's been successful and, you know, the probably the most successful franchise in the entire league for the last 20, 25 years, 180 miles down the road from you, that's where he comes from. So that's, th those are the people that you're going to listen to. So I get it. Yeah. I I'm trying to just, I mean, it, it kind of reminds you a little bit of how um, the Texans saw what they were doing up in Foxborough for all those years. So what did the Texans do? They went and brought in everyone who ever worked in Foxborough. And, you know, sometimes that works, sometimes it doesn't. Um, but you can kind of see that maybe that's what they're going with. Hey, San Antonio was so successful for all those years. So let's bring in somebody who has, you know, ties to that organization and won a lot of games there. So that, that's kind of maybe the comparison. I don't know if that's a good comparison, but I do think it's one that you can make. Yeah. I, I'm not one normally to fixate more on a coach than I am the players on a team, especially in basketball, but I, I'm still really trying to decide. And maybe by the end of training camp, I will have, trying to decide what is more 
not interesting, but more like what's going to be the greater impact? M.A. Udoka, the addition of M.A. Udoka and whatever culture and tone he's setting or like, say, a Jalen Green. I guess you hope that it's a Jalen Green or an Albert Shingoon or a Jabari Smith, that it's a player that is the one because that's ultimately what's going to matter. You need the players. But this shift that we're talking about, this drastic shift, and this ascension for M.A. Udoka is like not one that we can overlook. And, you know, and to his credit, you know, this is a meritocracy. There's some merit to this. He's had some success, a lot of success and has a presence about him and, and seems like he's got a good handle on, uh, at least on the basketball side of things. Uh, so, so it's interesting to see how things sort of turn. What is the what is the direction? What is the change? What does it ultimately look like? The the new look Rockets, uh, obviously with a bunch of new players, but with a, an entirely different voice at the helm. What would you say, we've sat here and talked about it for about 20 minutes now, what would you say is the biggest question going into training camp? I assume you're going to be there in Lake Charles covering for Sports Radio 610, doing all of this, uh, reporting back to us on the podcast and everything, man. So you got a Lake Charles trip coming up. What is the biggest the question? <laughs> well oh yeah yeah i guess i guess we will have to have to tap into the bosses to see if they uh if they if they feel like this is if this one is worthwhile we'll make the case that it absolutely is here we are breaking it down and talking about it but but what do you feel like is the biggest question entering training camp have we already addressed it or is there another uh i think and i was thinking about this today um what are and this is a very like a macro question but yeah. it's what are, what are rotations look like Mm-hmm. Because you look at the roster now, they had 14 guys last season play at least 200 minutes. Um, only five of those 14 guys are back. So you're replacing a lot of minutes. And my assumption is, okay, they're going to have Van Vliet, Green, Brooks, Smith, and Shingun as the five starters. What, if the, what does it look like afterwards? Where does the scoring come from off the bench? Who's going to be that guy off the bench? Who's going to run the offense off the bench? Um so I am very interested in, we probably won't know the answer to this until probably months down the road, but I'm really interested to see how they figure out their rotations. And I will, I really want to see, do they stagger Jalen green and Alperin Shingun, who I think are, that's, those are probably at least right now, their two best offensive players. Do they stagger those guys? Those two had really good chemistry last season. Do they keep them on the floor together as much as they can? If you do that, then again, where does the offense come off the bench? Um, what, what does the guard rotation look like? You know, who, who's, you know, I think that we all, the assumption was uh, back in July uh, that Kevin Porter Jr. would be the first man off the bench. He would run the offense. He would run that second unit. Obviously, that's probably not going to happen now. So what happens after that? You know, who's that? For, you know, when Fred Van Vliet goes to the bench, who's running the offense from that point on? Um, how do they manage the the rotation? You know, when it comes to the four and the you know the wings, you know, where does Jay Sean Tate fit? So I, I'm I'm very interested just to see how rotations work. Where does the offense come off the bench? And you know, do they you know do they split guys up? And so it, it, there's just a lot. There's a lot that comes with that. Um, and, and to me, I think that's probably the biggest thing that they have to try and figure out at least, you know, the first couple of months of the year. So, you know, my biggest question is not something that we're going to be a- able to answer for a while, but that's what I'm, I'll be watching for throughout the preseason and then, then the start of the regular season. Yeah, that your biggest question, and I get maybe the theme of this podcast will be me oversimplifying some of the things that you say, but. I was going to bring up as at least a question, if not the biggest question, but it plays into your point here is who will be their sixth man? You know, like, like who's going to be the sixth man on this team and maybe a two-parter or another element of that question. And part of, again, what I think what you're saying is not just who will be their sixth man, but who will be their best player off the bench. And, and, and maybe you can, Maybe you can quantify that in different ways, whether it's scoring, whether it's defense, whether it's playmaking, whatever it is, who will be their six man and or their best player off the bench? Maybe the answer to that question is the same person. Maybe it's not. But again, like you mentioned, it it felt like the last certainly the last time we did a podcast and when the season ended, 
there was a thought, well, ideally, Kevin Porter Jr. is featured as a sixth man, somebody that could come off the bench and lead a second unit. That's how he's best suited. That's how, like individually, that's probably how he's best suited. And that's probably what's best for the team if it indeed is going to be serious about competing, which we've already explained why and how they will be this year. You know, we opened the podcast with that, right? They are, the difference between this year and previous years is they are trying. You know, what's the difference between making Kevin Porter Jr. your full-time starting point guard and making him your sixth man, the difference between trying and not, right? Like, I, I think it could, it could ultimately come down to that. And that's where the Rockets are. That doesn't seem to be like a viable option anymore, given the situation with Kevin Porter Jr. And with that being the case, what does that mean for the guys that are left on that bench? Who's the one that's going to step up? You know, Rockets Twitter. And I, I think not just I, I should not deduce it to Rockets Twitter, but I, I, I feel like the, Rockets Twitter and the basketball community is really, really high on Tari East. And that's someone who's going to definitely be coming off the bench. But what's the step that he's going to take in, you know, in year two, you know, as a guy who was really impressive as an energy guy in his first year, what's, what are, is he going to improve on all the things that we've talked about here on this show that he needs to improve on? Could he be that guy? Is Amon Thompson ready already? Is he already ready, you know, to be that guy? I think maybe it's unfair to expect it, but I don't think it's unfair to ask the question if it's possible, you know, especially based off of what we saw very, very little of him in, in a summer league game, but also how his athleticism and skills project to the NBA level. Could he be that guy? Who is that guy? Like, that's probably not the biggest question going into training camp. Uh, but you could say you could make the, the argument that it is because I, I mean, I, I think some of those other things that we've already hit on the show are the biggest questions. But given the Kevin Porter Jr. situation and, you know, that's going to be its own topic and its own thing to ask and discuss when y'all get there. But the 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 on the basketball end, on the Rockets end of it, how does it affect the team? You know, ultimately, you're going to be wondering who who is the sixth man and or the best player coming off this bench. We don't have a great answer for that. Probably won't necessarily know by the end of training camp, but it's something that we've definitely got to keep an eye on and be monitoring throughout the season. Yeah, I think that when you think sixth man, you almost always think of the score. Um, and I don't know if they're going to have that. You know, I don't know if they're that, – that's kind of what I was talking about just with, you know, where does the offense come from when they do go to the bench? Who is going to be that guy? To me, they're uh, – of the – you know, I mentioned who I thought the five guys would be the starters. I, I mentioned the starting five, at least what I think it's going to be. To me, once you get past those five, the best player that you have would be Tari Eason. But I don't see Tari Eason as a guy who's just going to come in and provide instant offense. That's just not who he is, and I don't think that's who they want him to be. Um, so I, I think it's going to be that, that's why I was kind of bringing up just how the, how the rotations work, because I think that for them without Porter, it's, it might be hard for them to find offense. And I think they're going to have to get creative with how they work this. Like you mentioned to men Thompson, is he ready to take on that? Like, is he ready to run an NBA second unit at this point of his career? I think that that would be asking a lot. Uh, and, and I don't think that's necessarily what they wanted him to do back when they drafted him in June. But I think that at this point, he's probably going to be thrust into that role because there's nobody else. Uh, I, I don't think – you think Cam Whitmore is ready to take on some sort of a big scoring load right now? I don't think he is. I think that's going to be something that is going to take some time, and I think that he's got some, some weaknesses in his game, uh, especially when it comes to shooting – so I think that that would be asking a lot. So I think so. That's so I, so not to cut you off, but I, I was going to ask before you brought it up when you said get creative. That was going to be my creative, not solution, but but idea, if you will. What if getting creative? Because I, I think we do agree that Cam Whitmore could probably benefit from some G League time or mm -hmm. from not necessarily being thrust into that role. I think we agree there, but given the situation that we're talking about and given that Cam Whitmore can't put the ball in the bucket, 
which is ultimately the, the name of the game. He's got a knack for doing that at the very least, maybe to his own detriment right now. <laughs> you know, one of those things where you're like a prisoner of your own success, like you realize you can do some special things. And so you try to do too many special things. He feels like that guy right now. Like, oh, I'm really good. So now I think I'm better than I actually am. Uh, he, like he's totally that guy right now. And I, I have a certain level of respect for that. But what if that's the creative or a part of being creative with how to how to produce offense and how to score off the bench, given that maybe your initial plan is not one that's going to be one that you can use. So like it, it, it could he be, could some mixture of playing the rookies early, maybe it's Amon Thompson as the playmaker and, and shot creator and Cam Whitmore as just a natural born scorer that is the the creative way of saying hey let's just let's let the rookies sink or swim and see if they can see if they can produce off of raw talent here isn't that kind of what they did the last couple of years no but on the bench though as their second unit you know like like now jalen green and alperin shingun are veterans jabari smith jr is is at least a veteran to some degree because he's played he played a lot of basketball last year and, and you add fred van vliet and dylan brooks into the equation you don't have immaturity and inexperience and just like it's not a clown show in the starting lineup. And I don't, I don't mean to call the guys clowns, but it was kind of a clown show what they were doing, like what they were running out there before. It's at least not that to start the game. And, you know, people think highly of Amin Thompson and Cam Whitmore's prospects. You know, if they're if they're the guys that are you know, the spark plugs of your second unit, you're, you're, you're thriving and feeding off of, say, the energy of a an, an effort of a Tari Eason and however Jayshon Tate fits into the mix. But the raw talent of a, a men Thompson and Cam Whitmore and whatever else you've got going on there, I'm trying to think of what else even the bench would look like that that's worth discussing. Jeff uh, Green, Jock Landell. Yeah. I mean, Jock Landell is somebody who can he can dump the ball into. I, I think Tate is an interesting guy to mention just because he was kind of there. He's always – been kind of an organizer for them and yeah. you heard them talk plenty last year when they didn't have him just how much they missed him um you know, he's not going to put up the big gaudy numbers but you know he was essentially their backup point guard for a good portion of last season at least when he played he he kind of had to turn in to be that backup point guard so i think that that maybe is a job that he could do at least early in the season as you're kind of waiting for Amen thompson to get his feet wet and to just get you know his nba legs under him uh, but I, 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 like I said, I think it, it might be a chore for them. I think maybe um, you, you know, you you have Shengun start, but then you take him out pretty early, and then you let him run, you know, the second unit kind of as a hub, kind of what we saw from from them during those twenty games when Porter didn't play, and, and he led the team in uh, in front court touches. But I don't know. Do you want to separate him from Jalen Green? So I think that they. The, the Porter thing, you know, it, it hurts them, obviously, because he was an important player for them. And, you know, we haven't talked about it, and I don't really want to talk about it because there's so much of it that we just don't know about at this point. Um, but from a basketball sense, it hurts. It really does hurt them. And I think that he was somebody that they were going to, to really rely on. And now it doesn't seem like he's going to be there. At least he probably shouldn't be there at any point. Yeah, well, it, it, so in full transparency on the Kevin Porter Jr. thing, the the I'll, I'll just say this on the podcast: how I felt like our best strategy to handle the Kevin Porter Jr. story. I anticipate at some point that they will be parting ways with Kevin Porter Jr. You know, like I, I'm anticipating that. I don't know when that's going to happen, but I'm anticipating that it's going to happen. I feel like when, if and when that happens, that's when we can do the uncomfortable, newsy Kevin Porter Jr. Like, it doesn't even have to be a whole show. Like, it could just be a, a, however long we want to spend on it and do it then. I agree with you, at least for now, on how we should approach it. You know, this isn't, like, we're we're talking about these things, and you don't want to, like, talk about things that you don't have a lot of information on that are, especially that are as serious as this. Like, this isn't, what's Raphael Stone got to do to keep his job? Like, this is serious, like, real-life stuff. So I feel like we can wait until we've got more information and a little bit more clarity and finality to the story before we kind of, like, dive into it or, or like, you know, have it, have it, have that be a topic. 
you know, uh, we've obviously got to talk about how it affects the team if, as we talk about the team. So my thought is we keep it to to that level until we get more clarity on exactly what's going to happen with Kevin Porter Jr. Everybody knows what's going on and, yeah. and kind of what the story is at this point. And we can put a pen in it and come back to it once we've got kind of like, hey, this is what's going to happen with this thing. And then we can go from there. That's so, unreasonable. Uh, but as it pertains to basketball and as it pertains to the Rockets, an open question of who will be their six-man slash scorer off the bench. Where will the scoring come from off the bench? Uh, we don't know the answer to that. There are some theories and some ideas uh, <laughs> that are out there. I, you know, I, I say play – Maybe you play the rookies a little more than you anticipated or wanted to, or at least try it. Or maybe Tari Eason, kind of going back to my earlier point, if Tari Eason has taken a step or become a, a, a player that's a, that's more advanced or developed than even the one that we saw last year, you know, maybe maybe there's more there. I don't know, but that is going to be, you know, and it also speaks to how good they could be. You know, we talked about what's the floor of the team. The floor and the ceiling. What what is what are they going to be? Well, how they find that find a way to score off the bench is going to be, I think, really you know important there. Um, you know, Alperin Shingun. I, I feel like we we feel pretty confident that that's going to be a starter. But you know, do you start? Do you do you start? Even if he is a starter, does he sort of become the anchor of your second unit? Um, maybe maybe he's the first guy to come off the floor in your yeah. rotation, but then the first, yeah, but also first, yeah, you yeah. play him the first five minutes, and then you yeah. take him out at that first time out, and then you bring him back for the start of the second. Yeah. And he plays, you know, the first eight nine minutes of the second quarter. Yeah, I, I think go. that that's that's something that can work. Um, yeah, and you know, and you kind of if they don't have like that natural point guard, who at least you know Thompson probably is a natural point guard, but he he might not be ready from day one. But you saw them last year um, when Porter was out for those 20 games, it was Shengun. Well, he was the one leading the team in front court minutes. I mean, they were essentially running the offense through him. Uh, it didn't net them great results. You know, I, I think the offense might have been a little bit more efficient, but they were unable to create a lot of threes. But, you know, you were asking them to, to run an offense like that for 30 minutes a game. Now you do it this way where it's, you know, maybe it's Shengun leading the second unit maybe you're only asking them to do that for 12 minutes a, a night. So I think that that might be a little bit more feasible. So I, I think that Shen, you know, when we get into training camp, Shingun is obviously going to be a big topic um, because, you know, it, like with Jalen Green, it's a big year for him. You know, he's got a new coaching staff now. He's playing for an extension just like Green is. So, um, you know, he's got an opportunity to, you know, make a, an incredible amount of money here if he has a big year. So you just mentioned Jalen Green and the opportunity, Alperin Shingun and Jalen Green, if they, you know, can have a big year, the opportunity that's in front of them contractually, and then just overall what it says about them as players. I've mentioned earlier the leap potentially that Jabari Smith Jr. could take from year one to year two. So I would ask this question. I'm curious what you think is the answer to this. And this is a projection. How do we know? Who takes over as the team leader? You know, like I don't like I, I think to a large degree, you could make the case that Kevin Porter Jr. was the team leader last year, uh, for better and or worse. Uh Jalen Green, I think, was their best player, uh, most talented player, but Kevin Porter Jr. made a case for that as well, um, based off of his play and how they played when he was gone. A lot of that possibly had something to do with the way the roster was constructed, but I don't like they they have added two veteran players who could take over the role of leadership, but I don't think any of us are going to confuse them with the best or most talented players on the team, those being Fred Van Bleet or Dylan Brooks. Like again, either of those guys could be a leader or the leader, but you know a lot of times that's the the best or first or second best player on the team you suspect that that could be either of those three young guys that we mentioned that are part of the core who do you anticipate could be that guy who does who takes over 
you know, by the time we're doing our, you know, a year from now, or I say nine months from now, or so we're looking back on the season, who's the leader of this team? Uh, I think it would be Brooks. Um, he, I think he's going to be the vocal guy. I think that's probably what he was like in Memphis. Uh, if you want me to pick one of the young guys who could kind of grow into that role, uh, I think that the most likely one would be Jabari Smith. I, I think that he's probably going to be the more vocal. Um, I just think you kind of saw it even as a rookie. Um, he had some alpha tendencies in him, you know, whether it was going right back at uh, DeJounte Murray and Trey Young in that game when they when they lost, when they beat the Hawks back in November. Yeah, I think you kind of saw that then. Um, he was not afraid to call guys out on the bench. You could hear him call guys out just even on the floor, you know, when they had breakdowns. So to me, um, I, I think that somebody like Dylan Brooks and probably Van Vliet, they probably would go into the season as kind of that vocal guy. But I do think if somebody were to grow into it, it would probably be Jabari Smith. Yeah, I I think it's Jabari Smith. Um, Brooks and Fred Van Vliet, I think, come in as leaders. I, I think that they come in as leaders. That That's what they've been signed to do. So and it's kind of odd, you know, when, when, you know, you got guys that are on a team and then new guys come onto the team. But they're older or more established and then they get to instantly be leaders. But I, I think M.A. Udoka is going to treat the veterans like leaders and because they're just going to come in with that instant credibility and built in credibility. Dylan Brooks is everything that you said he is in terms of like how, how you know, how he could go about leadership, uh, especially on a team like this. But Jabari Smith Jr. is the one that stands out to me. I think from a personality and accountability standpoint, he's he's the clear candidate. I'm interested to see what step his game takes. What next level does his actual game go to? Um, does he play more like a guy that, that you would project or think someone who's taken with the number three overall pick plays like? Because let's be honest, for most of last year, he didn't play like a guy that you take with the number three overall pick, even when he had some nice moments. It, it wasn't like, oh, this guy, there were flashes, flashes of it. But overall, he did not play like that. By the end of the year, I thought you were seeing more flashes of it. And obviously, Summer League, a whole totally different context of basketball, made him look like that as well. Coming off of all of that, what, what leap? does his game take it's what i'm really interested to see because i think he's already got those things that you talked about that kind of just the natural leadership or the personality trait leadership but will his game sort of take over in a way where he could actually really be there and i, I think that that's key for them they, they needed to i think i think the rockets absolutely needed to but will it is something that i'm very interested to watch well, they took him third overall. I mean, you don't take a guy third overall if you don't think he has, you know, the potential to be, you know, one of your guys. And um, I think we can talk about the offensive stuff and, you know, the scoring. I, I think that the efficiency needs to get better. Um, that was – he was not a very efficient player. I, I, I'm curious just to see the body. Um did he get stronger? I imagine he got a little stronger, but you know, how significant was that? And then I really just want to see defensively from him because that was his calling card. Like that was supposed to be his best skill was the defense. And he struggled, you know, he struggled, you know, you're going to struggle as a rookie in the NBA playing defense and everything just moves so quickly. Um, just how does, what type of growth do we see in that department from him? Because he doesn't need, you don't necessarily need him to be an elite offensive player, but if he can be an elite defensive player, then that's a game changer for you. And that's somebody that you can have on the floor 40 minutes a night and have him guard any single position. You know, that that only makes your team better. And you win games with guys like that. You know, it's great to have guys who can score 25 a night, but when you can have a guy who can lock down anybody on the floor, that's just as important. I'm gonna throw before we get out of here, I'm gonna throw bed nod here at you. Uh the over under on the Rockets win total, 31 and a half games. You are a betting man. I am not. Uh, I, so I, I'm going to ask you, like, I, I mean, the question just flat out is, 
do you think that the Rockets could win 32 games? You know, like that's that's basically what what we're asking here. But I, I'm just going to throw it to you. Do you think this is a fair line here for the Rockets going into the preseason, 31 and a half games? It would be, what is that, a 9 to 10 game uh Improvement. Last year. Yeah, they won 22 games last year, so it would be an improvement. But obviously, I mean, the next worst team won 33, right? Uh, you was that Utah or Portland? Are you talking about in the West? In the West, yeah, something like I, that. But I yeah. mean, team like, teams like I think it would have been Portland. Yeah. Um, but remember, Portland had finished with however many wins they finished with. They tanked the last month of the year. Right, right, right. There, yeah, definitely. So there was a wider gap between the Rockets and Spurs and then Portland uh, right. after that. Um, I think 32 is – it's a fair number. Uh, I, I do think that they can get there because I think the big thing for them is that the floor is raised. Um, when you bring in actual vets who know what they're doing, I think that helps. I think that they will be – they they should be better defensively. When you bring in Dylan Brooks, it means you're going to be better defensively. You get a whole – you get another year – for um, the four guy, you know, for for Shingun and for Green and for Smith and for East, and you get them a, a, another year of experience. You've added other veterans, you know, with land, you know they they were playing. You, you look at the guys who they were playing off the bench; they gave away most of those guys. You know, Josh Christopher was given away. Um, Ty Ty Washington was given away. Usman Garuba was given away. They waived Dacian Nix. Um, so those guys who were getting important minutes for them last season a lot of those guys were just given away. So now you bring in some guys from the outside, you know, somebody like Jock Landale, he is better than anybody that the Rockets were playing behind Alper and Shengun at the five last year. Um, Dylan Brooks is going to be better than anybody that they were starting at the three, you know, no, no disrespect to KJ Martin, but Dylan Brooks is a better basketball player than KJ Martin. Fred Van Vliet is better by miles and miles and miles from what they were starting at point guard last year. So the big thing is, you raise the floor with Brooks, Van Vliet, Landale. Can now the other guys grow and, you know, get to where they are playing at a higher level? And, you know, the bench is kind of the interesting aspect of it. Can they find some scoring off the bench? Um, so we'll see. Uh, they better, you know, for, for their sake, they better win 32. You know, if they if they wind up losing 55 games, then that's, that's a bad year for everybody. That means that they are not headed in the right direction. That means that the guys that they were counting on to develop and lead this franchise moving forward, it means they probably aren't right for that job because if you can't build, if you can add who they added in free agency and only, and improve by fewer than 10 wins, I don't care how good the West is. I think to me, that's a problem. A couple other rockets bed nods that I want to throw at you before we get out of here that I found interesting. I'm looking at DraftKings. I don't know if this was the case when I first looked at this. You know, I, I first had the idea to talk about some of the bed nods with the Rockets as part of our offseason content, some of it that we actually didn't end up getting to uh, because of just the way the last month has gone. But I'm looking at it now, and this surprises me, especially based off of the conversation that we had about the rookies, being Amin Thompson and Cam Whitmore for the Rockets. Cam Whitmore actually has better odds right now to win rookie of the year than Amin Thompson. Slightly, uh, let's see, like plus 2,000 for Cam Whitmore versus plus 2,500 for Amin Thompson. I think I'm seeing that correctly. My eyes aren't good, but that's what I'm seeing right now on DraftKings. That surprises me. Uh, it also surprises me a little bit that Alperin Shingun isn't a little bit higher on the most improved player odds but then when i look at the names in front of him i can't really argue argue with them mikhail bridges tyrese maxi jordan Poole, cade cunningham austin reeves maybe that's the first one that i would argue with uh and but then paolo bancaro are all the the, the players that have better odds to win most improved but then alperin shingun is right there uh you know right there behind them other than that, like there, everybody, there's long odds for everything else. You know, uh, MAU Doka's all the way at the bottom, somewhat surprisingly for me, but 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 all the way at the bottom, near the bottom for coach of the year. What do you think about uh, 
first about, I guess, that rookie of the year, Cam Whitmore over Amon Thompson, and then uh, and then of course Alvin Shingun there for most improved player. Yeah, the the, the rookie thing is weird. I, I don't know what the process is uh, with that. I don't know if maybe Cam Whitmore is just taking a bunch of money. Um, you know, uh, you know, it tends to be the money that moves lines more than anything else. So you think it's the summer league MVP thing and that happening in Vegas and it could be, it could be the fact that he's maybe more of a scorer and he played college basketball, but yeah. I, I, okay. I yeah. That's fair. I, I wouldn't pick, I, I wouldn't say that his chances of winning rookie of the year are better than a Thompson's. I, I don't know. Um, I, I, I never know what to make about, um, most improved just because it tends to just be a numbers thing. And like, yeah. I, I don't see Alperin Shingun taking some huge numbers jump because I think the numbers last year were pretty good. So let me see, where did he wind up finishing last year? Last year, Shingun was 15 points, nine rebounds, four assists. Like, is he going to take a big jump? You know, is, is he going to go to, you know, 22, 12 and six? Probably not. You know, I, I think that the the 15.9 rebound you know threshold is probably where he's going to wind up you know probably somewhere around there so i, I wouldn't take shingun for um most improved i think jalen green can be an interesting most improved candidate though i think jabari smith could be a good most improved candidate just because i think that there's already going to be some buzz with him based off of summer league and based off of just kind of the poor statistical season that he had so you know jabari smith last year was he was 13.7 rebounds on inefficient shooting. So, I mean, if all of a sudden he can, you know, get that up and become more efficient, then I think that there's probably more of a route for him to get that award than maybe for Shingun. I'm surprised though, like you, um, that Yudoka is not higher on the coach of the year list, just because you take over a 22 win team, you know, if the Rockets, you know, play over their heads and are somehow, in the playing mix, and I think that you know there's a route there for uh, for Ime Udoka to get at least some sort of consideration for Coach of the Year. So if I were if I were putting my money, which I'm not going to, on on somebody on, on a rocket to win an award, I would probably say Udoka as Coach of the Year would be one, and then maybe uh, Jabari Smith, Jalen Green as most improved would probably be two and three. Interesting, interesting. I think. That's interesting. I, I I probably would have gone if I were going to go one. I'd probably go with. I'd probably go with one of the rookies, uh, and and for me, I'm I'm right there on the, Amon Thompson, Cam Whitmore thing. I don't really understand that fully, but I would feel like you know there's a, there is a path for, if Amon Thompson, is as good. Am I saying it right? Is it Amon or Amen? Am I saying it right? It's a man, I believe. A man. Scratch every folks. Scratch every time I've said a man. I wasn't at the, his press conference and didn't introduce myself. A man. Forgive me, a man Thompson. But if he's the player that a lot of people feel like he could be, like there was a there I read there was a scout earlier, uh, maybe a day or so ago, that was saying he might already be like a top five athlete in the league, which is a ridiculous thing to say. I know he's a great athlete, but if, if he is as good as a lot of, as a lot of people feel about him, there is some, some superstar potential there, you know, similar to the other guys that were taken ahead of him. And so if he plays up to it, I could totally see him winning that award, even if it's, you know, in a six man role or, if he's so damn good that they have to find a way for him in the starting lineup, which I don't see that happening, but it's possible. It could happen. We've seen stranger ways, stranger things happen than that. So I'd probably go with, with Thompson and then any of those guys, I'll say this about the, the second year and third year guys that we're talking about there. Let's just call it the Jalen green, Jabari Smith, Alperin Shingun trio there. I think if any of those guys win that award or sniff that award, that's a hell of a sign for the Rockets. Yeah, you know, that's, that's a hell of a sign for the Rockets. Like, I, I like, I could see. I guess my logic with Alperin Shingun, and he does have the highest eyes of any Rocket. And, and part of why I could see it being there is that, like, like he's got so many areas in his game that he can improve, uh, but is also kind of like a flashy player, and is already kind of a darling of like the basketball nerd community. 
And then if he like improves, I feel like he could maybe even expose himself to more, expose his game to even more, uh, to even more people that weren't aware of the Rockets because they weren't trying to win. Hey, here's the first year that they are trying to win. And hey, here's this Alperin Shingun guy that a lot of the basketball nerds have been talking about. I could just see from a voting standpoint, him being a guy that people, that voters like. But I would concede and agree with your point about, you know, Jabari Smith Jr. especially, uh, about the most improved part. Uh, if Jalen Green sniffs that award, that means that, because, I mean, Jalen Green's already, let's let's be clear, he has not established himself as a clear franchise player, but he's already really damn good. Like, he's already a, a, a good basketball player not efficient enough very flawed basketball player but a good one if he sniffs most improved player that will have meant that he took some sort of leap that put him in like the that, that anthony edwards category to a territory of kind of contract and type of player and we saw how everybody's been gushing over anthony edwards since the you know summer basketball and all of that so like like if he's in that kind of realm and people are talking about him like that and you know and i think that's what it would have to be for him to be in that most improved player category that is a big deal for the rockets any of those any of those players being in that conversation any of those three well i want to talk you off the min thompson rookie of the year thing though i gotta do it walter um he's not winning that as a a six man and the other thing that you have to remember um scoot henderson's going to start in portland and Scoot Henderson's usage rate is going to be off the charts. So he's probably going to average like 20, 25 points a game as a rookie. He's yeah, but what, but, but what if it – and I guess – sure. I guess my, my question is what if it feels somewhat empty and like – because, you know, a lot of this comes – you know, people fall in love with narratives too. Oh, the Rockets are improving. Oh, the Rockets have their future uh, – you know, their point guard of the future. This guy is going to be the – you know – the savior, whatever it is, like, and and, and I, I'm not ruling out that Amon Thompson could ultimately be as good as Scoot Henderson one day. You know, I I wouldn't bet on it, but I also wouldn't rule it out. Um, but I don't know. I look, Scoot Henderson was picked ahead of him. He's going to have a higher usage rate. Um, it, it, we have not mentioned one Victor Wimbenyama. Who has an opportunity to do the same thing um in terms of getting the rookie of the year award uh but but when i, I guess just when i think about it you know that's just well that's just who i who, who i could see who i could see winning the award I, maybe i'm just a little bit higher on him than i should be or uh and just kind of looking at the opportunity maybe i'm thinking applying the long-term projection to what is ultimately a short-term award you know Michael Carter Williams. Uh, what was my guy's name? Uh, did I say that right? Michael, Car- Michael Carter Williams from Syracuse. Say, the guy from Syracuse that actually played for the Rockets for like five minutes uh, won that award like a decade ago, and you never heard from him again. So, like, so who knows? Um, you know, that, that that could be me taking a long term projection and applying it to a short term award. But we'll see. We'll see. These are they're interesting odds. I did. I will say that the having Whitmore's odds be higher than Thompson's uh, than both the Thompson twins surprises me. Uh, but it could, it could be just the, um, the reaction to what people saw in summer league. Now I would like to note, since we're talking about the rookie of the year, you know, we talked about Scoot Henderson, Victor Wimbenyama, obviously Brandon Miller. We didn't mention, Worth remembering, Chet Holmgren will be eligible for that award. You know, and I'm not saying he's going to win it, but that throws a whole nother wrench into whether one of these Rockets guys could win it. A whole nother guy who you might not even consider a rookie, but is considered a rookie by the rules and and, and is eligible for the award is in the mix here. And and we haven't seen him play. So so it'll be interesting. We'll see. We'll see how it all goes. Um, hey, this it's fun to get back in the mix, man. Fun to get back in the mix doing the podcast again. I want to just take a quick moment to like just shout out everybody who and and not just shout out, but to thank from the like bottom of my heart and from like all sincerity, everybody who's like reached out or thought of me 
during a really tough time in my life. A lot of the reason why we haven't been around is because, you know, real life happened here behind the scenes and I'm adjusting and doing the best that I can with it, but have been overwhelmed by the kindness, uh, obviously from you, Adam, as somebody that I know personally, uh, Austin Mendez, our producer, who's reached out to me, all of you that have been there for me, everybody that listens, that cares. I just want to say from the bottom of my heart that I appreciate it and that I'm glad to be back and that truly, again, sincerely, I thank you. So we're just glad to have you back too. So yeah. Yeah. Glad to be back. Good to be here, man. And, you know, things like this kind of help you get through stuff like that because it allows you to think about something else and to still obviously do something that you have a heart for and care about. So um, so thank everybody for that. And we'll be back, I imagine, next week or sometime soon enough because we got training camp, baby. We got the rocket season right around the corner. So stay tuned. Make sure that you subscribe, review, rate it, tell a friend, all of that.